If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. As yesterday afternoon turned to yesterday evening and we began to hear one minister's name after another in the new cabinet, we were, you know, oh yeah, he's in there and she's in wherever and keeping a, a near cocked for who would be the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. In the end, Julian Smith, the man who popped up on the screen a few times uh, as the chief whip. Uh, let me speak to Sam McBride from the newsletter, uh, the political editor. Sam, Good morning. Good morning, Frank. So Julian Smith appointed Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. You're a man with your eye to business in that field. Uh, are you surprised? Are you impressed? Are you someone who has a, an inside track on what Julian Smith will be able to achieve that uh, Karen Bradley couldn't? Well, I think that if we, if we look at this um, in a in a uh, historical um, frame, this is this is a more senior uh, appointee to the Northern Ireland Office than really any of the Conservative Secretaries of State which we have had um, over the last decade or so. So, if you think about Owen Patterson, um, then Theresa Villers. And then James Brokenshire and more recently Karen Bradley. I think it's fair to say that each of those were more junior in rank at the point when they were appointed um, to this post than Julian Smith. Julian Smith is not somebody who will be a household name, and um, certainly not um, to many people in Northern Ireland. But this, this is actually a very senior behind the figures government figure. He was the chief whip, and that was really a a cent- is is a central posting and a very important posting in any government. But it was particularly important given the precarious arithmetic which Theresa May faced and the importance of what he was trying to, uh, to to persuade or cajole Tory MPs to vote for in terms of her Brexit deal. So this is someone who has been um, really at the heart of Theresa May's government. Um, but as, as a chief whip, the uh, tradition is that he does not speak in the House of Commons. So he is not someone who you, who you will see uh, making statements from the, uh, the uh, parliamentary dispatch box. He is not someone who um, gives interviews, although he actually broke with, with uh, tradition and gave a couple of interviews as things were starting to fall apart, which in some ways was a sign of how bad things had got for Theresa May. But um, this, this is someone who, who will know the DUP in particular very well from those uh, parliamentary negotiations. He uh, went to the DUP conference two years ago at the end of 2017. And he, he spoke at that conference. He said that he had been very impressed by the calibre of DUP MPs uh, and said that they were a credit to the DUP and a credit to Northern Ireland. So 
he, he certainly told them what they wanted to hear at that point. Um, but I think when, when it came to the business end of this Brexit negotiation, he was someone who was very much on the opposite page to the UK. He was trying to whip through uh, the deal which Theresa May had struck, which included the backstop, which the DUP did not want. So I think that while some people might look at, at Julian Smith and what he has said about the DUP and some of his um, utterances there and think that he's too close to them, I think they should maybe see that in the round and realise that um, sometimes people are maybe saying what they uh, think will uh, be best received by a certain audience, but when it came to the bit, this is someone who was desperately trying to get the backstop through Parliament and, of course, as somebody who voted Remain, um, who is coming into the Northern Ireland office. So they will not be entirely uh, dissatisfied at, at, at his appointment, I don't think, because he's somebody that they've worked with, somebody that they know, somebody who they will feel they have the measure of. But he's not necessarily someone who is made in the mould of, of uh, Nigel Dodd or Arlene Foster. It's interesting the way you describe him, because he just seems to have a list of failures. He didn't manage to... Uh, he, he was a Remainer, and he, he, he didn't win. He stumbled on the, the backstop. He's been uh, trying to back Theresa May, and he's been lacking discipline in a cabinet when he was chief whip, or there was a lack of discipline in the cabinet when he was the, the, the chief whip. He doesn't sound like a man who would have been been very impressive in everything that he's tried to achieve thus far and then there's this almost contradiction of him praising the DUP but not really being in favour of what the DUP were, were trying to trying to achieve why did Boris pick him? I think the, the, those are largely very fair criticisms um, and certainly he, he was criticised as Chief Whip. He, he was also criticised around the time in uh, in late 2016 where there was that incredible breakdown between Number 10 and Theresa May and uh, the DUP in Belfast and where, where, where the Prime Minister went to Brussels to, as she thought, finalise her deal and then when Arlene Foster got wind of what was happening she had to retreat and it was an incredibly humiliating experience and he was one of those who was blamed for not... Um, really keeping things and keeping the wheels of communication well oiled between the DUP and the government. So certainly there there are questions around his time his time at the heart of government there. But I think to be to be fair to him, all of that has to be seen in the context of what was really an an, an, an impossible um, parliamentary situation for Theresa May, just in terms of the numbers which she had. Um, he, he, he was trying to uh, to get through the House of Commons legislation, which simply did not come close to having a parliamentary majority. And they had tried and tried again and got it down to something that was uh, maybe not uh, respectable, but which was at least perhaps winnable. But that that was at such a late stage after so many attempts that really it was it was it was a completely forlorn um, situation at that point. So. He, 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 he is somebody who, I think, because he has had that senior role in government, because he is someone um, who, who, who will, as, as a chief whip, know where there are bodies that are buried. And that is one of the, the very traditional roles of a chief whip, to, to really know what it, what, it will, um, what will get each MP to vote for, for various pieces of legislation. And so, therefore... He is someone who will be, um, I think, to a certain extent, feared by the new administration. Um, but I think also there, there has been such a radical purge of what has gone before here by Boris Johnson. He has dispensed with so many of the previous cabinet that I think there, there will be a need on, on his part to have some sort of continuity there. And by, have, by having someone um, like the chief whip who, who was not um, as public, who was not um, out there um, in front of uh, the TV cameras very much, 
Um, he, is, he is showing that there is a break with the past in terms of what the public recognised as the government, but someone who um, was very significant and was very senior, um, but was not as high profile, is being kept on here. When you say knowing where the bodies were buried, a chief whip, do they give ultimatums to the MPs? You must vote for this or, and the or could be the revealing of something that would be that would embarrass them, that would that, that would shame them, some skeleton in the cupboard. Is it almost you know bordering on blackmail what they do? Well, I think that if you if you look at the history of the whip's office, and this this straddles, I think most parties and. Many individuals who, who have held those posts are certainly not a, a pointed criticism of Mr. Smith, but there there has long been a reputation for these individuals being skilled in the dark arts of politics. There um, used to be talk of the Chief Whip's Black Book, where he would have um, all sorts of transgressions by MPs, all sorts of embarrassing episodes which might come out if they don't toe the line. Um, and really, there was there was an element of it being both. Um, a carrot um, where the chief whip could recommend people to the prime minister and say they have been very loyal and they, they, they really should be rewarded with some sort of ministerial post or a PPS post or some sort of rung on the uh, governmental ladder or um, on the other side of the ledger, if they haven't been um, seen to be towing their weight, maybe we need to discipline them in some way. And there, there are very public ways that people can be disciplined. They can have the whip withdrawn. They can be, uh, they can be uh, suspended from the party. There, there are various options there that are public. But I think parties rarely like to go public with internal um, disputes of that nature. And therefore, very often, I think these things in all parties are sorted out in a much more oblique way, and that is where the whip comes into play. So that is that is something which I think is um, is a long-standing practice in politics, and probably I think it's fair to say it is it is probably less um, dark and probably less dirty, perhaps, than it once was, because I think people these days are are more willing to go public about some of these things, um, things such as. Um, private life scandals and perhaps do not have the, the cachet which they would have had in the in the 60s or the 50s. Um, and therefore, I think um, the uh, strength of the uh, whips to be able to bend um, MPs' hands behind their back, I think maybe isn't just what, what, it, what it used to be. But these are these are people who are very important to a prime minister. They are, they are the people who are entrusted with ensuring that they are able to get their business through the House of Commons. And if, if a prime minister cannot get their uh, manifesto through the House of Commons, really they, they, they really have got no mandate to govern. They might, they might be in uh, office, but they will not be in power. And I think that, that was the difficulty which Theresa May and Julian Smith faced, that they were limping along as a government. They, they were not being removed as the government. There was not a general election to, to give the country an option of something different but they were not able to really do very much, not just on Brexit, but on all sorts of other areas. And so we had this extraordinary situation of the government of the House of Commons rising at three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon with no business. I mean, that's, that's really the antithesis of what we would expect from the House of Commons, where generally it's a struggle to get business into the chamber. There's a packed order paper, and um, really it's very difficult to um, get time on, on, the, on the floor of the House of Commons. So... These were very unusual times in which Julian Smith was operating um, and perhaps coming to Northern Ireland, um, conversely, will be um, something of a more straightforward ministerial post, um, even though that will be a very complex role, obviously. Uh, and just finally, Sam, what, what will Sinn Féin make of him? Will they stick to the, the mantra, it's not the personality, it's the policies? 
that is very much what what they have been saying. I mean, pretty much all of the parties in Northern Ireland, um, I think literally all of the parties in Northern Ireland, which is quite extraordinary, um, had publicly expressed that really they had lost confidence in Karen Bradley uh, many months ago, um, and there were there were calls for her to resign from all sorts of quarters, both political and um, from from people such as the uh, victims of historical institutional abuse, who who were deeply frustrated at at, at some of her um, as they saw it lack of alacrity really in dealing with their uh, calls for compensation. So um, I think that there, there will be a sense that by by having a new Secretary of State, that, that changes things a little bit. Um, there, there is a turning of a new leaf here in terms of the talks process. I think um, having someone who is seen as a more witty figure, I think it's also fair to say, is just a more competent figure than Karen Bradley. This is a very senior um, governmental uh, he had someone who, despite, as you say, his failures to get some of these votes through the Commons, um, did not exude that sort of just complete incompetence, which at points Karen Bradley exuded, um, where she really didn't seem to know what she was talking about. At points was quite open about the fact that she didn't know very much about Northern Ireland. Um, by, by, by changing that, I think you do change the uh, dynamic potentially, um, but certainly the, the public position from Sinn Féin is very much um, this is a Tory government. We don't agree with them. We certainly don't agree with Boris. And therefore, by changing the Secretary of State, unless there's a major change of policy in terms of Brexit and some of these other issues, they say that really doesn't change very much for them. Yeah, I did say finally, but uh, just before you go, just an overview, a very brief overview on the Cabinet generally. If you were to pick out one or two issues, what would you say we should be looking for? Well, it's, it's, it's a radical reshaping of government by Boris Johnson. I mean, people um, wondered with Boris Johnson um, what, what, what he actually would do. There, there has always been this element of Boris being something of an unknown quantity, something of an enigmatic character that um, there is lots of bluster, there are lots of jokes, there are lots of gaffes, but what, what will he actually do when he gets his hands on the levers of power? And I think what, what people have seen thus far is that he is perhaps much more radical than people thought he might be. There is no sense here that this is someone who um, talked tough to get the Tory leadership, but now is going to be much more consensual and much more restrained. Um, he has, um, I think it's something like 17 departures from Theresa May's camp um, last cabinet, which is a, a really an extraordinary um, change, um, not just in the big senior offices of state, such as Foreign Secretary, um, the Home Secretary, the Defence Secretary, the the Chancellor, all of those have changed, but also at much more junior levels of government. Um, And I think outside the Cabinet, perhaps the most significant change which he has made is bringing Dominic Cummings into government um, as as, as a senior advisor in Downing Street. This is the man who was really the brains of Brexit, the brains of the vote leave operation. He's a very unorthodox figure. He's a very controversial figure. He's someone who has been known to um, not just bend the rules and push the rules to their extent, but um, break the rules at various points in the past. But he gets things done, and I think that is his attraction to Boris Johnson. So there's going to be a a real set of fireworks there, I think, not just um, between Number 10 and the opposition parties and perhaps um, other um, outside bodies, but also between Number 10 and the Tory party. This is, this is somebody who has very um, frank and forthright um, opinions about um, even some of those who, who were on his own side in the Brexit debate, some of those members of the ERG. Um, he um, is someone who will really um, radically shake things up within Downing Street. And so I think we're in for a few months where there's going to be incredible turmoil. 
But what the Prime Minister is saying yesterday and is sticking to and is um, building on is that we will leave the EU on the 31st of October. Come what may, no ifs, no buts, he says. He really hasn't left himself very much wriggle room there, it would seem. Sam, thank you very much. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, uh- 